Welcome to New Teacher Talk. My name is Leanna Malinowski, and I am an elementary teacher at Private Nicholas Minu School in Carteret, New Jersey. I have over 15 years of teaching experience. I am the 2022-2023 Middlesex County Teacher of the Year, Top 4 Finalist for State Teacher of the Year, recipient of the 2023 Winslow Coyne Reitner Excellence in Teaching Award, and recently I became a Certified Structured Literacy Dyslexia Interventionist. I always share with people that I have three loves of my teaching life, special education, literacy, and teacher leadership. This is why I am very excited to be here with all of you, sharing my love for literacy and hopefully igniting yours too. I know what it's like to be in your shoes, my friends. I mean, let's face it, we know that our college classes don't teach us everything about what we need to know for teaching reading. Hence why I always suggest to others to join the Facebook group, The Science of Reading, What I Should Have Learned in College. We need more support as educators to teach literacy. This is what motivates me to share with you all that I've learned through my own learning, research, and years of experience in the classroom. In my first episode with reading as my topic, I talked about the complexities of teaching reading and how far we've come with our understanding of how the brain learns to read. After all, teaching reading is rocket science. I want to shed some light on a special and specific topic in literacy that I enjoy helping others understand better. So today, I am going to set sight words straight. That's right, you heard me. The term sight words has been misunderstood, used incorrectly, and viewed from an opaque pair of binoculars. And let me tell you, my friends, it's imperative that we all get on the same page when it comes to this term. I feel like ever since I learned the correct way to apply the term sight words, I frankly cringe when I hear it used incorrectly. It's like a bell you can't unring. We know as educators that our students need consistency. And when one teacher talks about a term used in one way and a second teacher presents it differently, we are not helping our students. Our students will do whatever the teacher in front of them asks. So being unified is key for them to know what to expect and learn about literacy correctly. When teachers talk about the term sight words, some are referring to high frequency words, such as is, the, and, was. There are about 100 of these that are the most common in texts at all different levels. Others say sight words are words that we have to quote-unquote, memorize, because they do not have typical phonetic patterns. So which is correct? The answer is, well, neither. You see, a sight word is any word that we can read without having to sound it out, be it phoneme by phoneme, aka sound by sound, or in chunks. Our brain is technically sounding out the word, but it's done at such a rapid-fire rate that it appears we know the word by sight. We are processing each letter, which is how we can tell the difference between words like block and black. There are many misconceptions about reading, one main one being that reading is a derivative action from our visual memory. One might think that given we see words on a page when we read, that reading is a visual process, but that's not the case. Dr. David Kilpatrick explains in his book, Equipped for Reading Success, that we do need some visual perceptual skills for reading, such as alphabet recognition, but we do not store words visually in our memory, and then they pop off the page when we read, 
It just doesn't happen that way. I admit, my friends, when I first learned of this concept, I too was amazed. And to be honest, a little frustrated. This is why I highly suggest getting his book. It was truly a game changer for me as an educator, literacy enthusiast, and in my teaching of reading. So if we don't file our words into this visual file cabinet, yes, I still say that with air quotes here, my friends, how do we get to become proficient at reading words and knowing them by, oh, here comes the quotes again, sight? Dr. David Kilpatrick outlines this process referred to as orthographic mapping. Let me walk you through this on a simple, easy path. Orthographic mapping is possible because of the unique connection between auditory and visual pathways. The concept was developed by another amazing literacy guru that you should take the time to become familiar with, Dr. Linnae Airy. To make words, letters are formed into meaningful letter strings. Think of it like a necklace with beads on it. Each letter is tied to a sound, and together it creates a spoken word that is recognizable. The key here is that each phoneme is tied to a grapheme. In other words, sounds are connected to letters. This is why when students have difficulty learning to read, it is not a visual problem. It's a phonological problem because the breakdown usually happens at the phoneme level. If you're not familiar with the terms phonological and phonemic, I invite you to listen to my prior episode. In a nutshell though, phonological awareness is an umbrella term for our ability to work with sounds in spoken language, such as rhyming and identifying syllables in words. Phonemic awareness falls under this umbrella term, phonological awareness, because it's our ability to hear, identify, manipulate spoken sounds. Our brain anchors the phonemes in a word's pronunciation to the printed letter strings into our long-term memory for future retrieval. So we are not memorizing the look of a whole word, but rather storing this necklace of sounds into letters, two letters, into our brain. Now, you might be saying, okay, so what does this mean for me as a teacher? If you teach the early childhood grades like I do, such as K-2, the first thing you want to do is stop giving a list of words that students need to quote-unquote memorize each week and test their spelling. Without knowing the sounds for these letters, odds are, well, they won't know how to spell them on Friday. We only took a glimpse at the decoding window so far, my friends, let alone gaze into the distance at encoding a.k.a. spelling. Rather, teach students to sound out words. After all, about 84% of English is decodable. There is a great resource called Uncovering the Logic of English by Denise Eide that is a game changer for teaching yourself the different rules and patterns of English. Then you can turnkey this to even our youngest of students. Many people think this type of direct, explicit, and systematic instruction makes kids bored. Have you ever seen kids play with Legos? They love to build things. So they love to build words. I've seen it in action with my own students. So on the contrary, not only is it how the science of reading tells us kids need to learn, but I found it that they view it like a puzzle. They want to both decode, sound out, and encode spell words correctly, no matter what it takes. After all, as a first grade teacher, I truly believe the most popular question by far is, how do I spell 
and insert a word right here. And we need to teach our young students the high-frequency words that have less common phonetic patterns so they can tackle texts early on. They are intrigued to learn why we sound out letters in different ways. It's us that has more fear in teaching it. This goes for older students as well. They are ready for more advanced patterns and something called morphology. Simply said, the smallest unit of words that has meaning such as prefixes and suffixes. For older students, you'll have fewer words where there are difficult or irregular patterns in them since you'll be teaching concepts such as blends, vowel teams, and digraphs early on. Using what many know now as a red word or heart word routine, we can teach students to use phoneme graphing knowledge to sound out parts that have typical patterns and learn a memorable way to remember a part that doesn't. Katie Gardner does a great job with her materials showing educators how we can use stories to make sounds memorable, even with our youngest of readers. Definitely take a moment to review her work. For example, when presenting the word was, like she was in school today, teach the students that letter W makes its typical sound, w, while the A is a vowel. We know that vowels can usually make two sounds, the long and the short, but sometimes they're confused. So letter A here says, uh, uh, much like we do when we're confused or we need to pause. Really though, uh is a Hebrew schwa sound. The letter S in the word was wants to be like the letter Z and make the Z sound. The letter S as Z comes from French. Now, we have learned that words that appear frequently in our language are high-frequency words, such as the word was, and now we know how to sound it out. Words that do not follow a typical phonetic pattern can be called irregular, but again, check with your resources. Even a simple Google search will do. One of my favorites is edamonline.com. This is there to help us check the history and see if there are reasons why letters have a different sound in a word and how the word is developed over time. Our true quote-unquote sight vocabulary means we can read the word without having to sound it out. It's been orthographically mapped into our lexicon and we can pull it off the bookshelf whenever we need it. For those of you who may be thinking, huh, you know, reading isn't my thing, or I'm going to be a math teacher, please know that it's important for you to know how your students are learning how to read. There are simple things you can do even if you haven't had many classes, training, or instruction on teaching reading. For example, the red word or heart word routine is one of them. Another way is to help is what Dr. David Kilpatrick describes as backward decoding. Teach word family endings. This is the rhyme, R-I-M-E, part of the word. Why aren't I saying rhyme, R-H-Y-M-E? Because we break words down into their onset and rhyme, R-I-M-E to rhyme, R-H-Y-M-E, words. That's how I like to remember it. You need that beginning sound, the onset, and the rhyme, the ending part, to actually rhyme words. We wouldn't teach times tables one at a time. We teach them in clusters. So this is why teaching word family endings is a powerful strategy for students to learn how to decode and encode words. Another thing that we can do, no matter what grade we teach, is we can spread the word and set sight words straight. Let's work together to help others learn about this term and its improper usages. 
That's literacy leadership in its finest, my friends. If you're looking for a great group of literacy enthusiast educators, I suggest you head over to Learning Allies Educator Community and join us where we learn from each other about literacy every day. The more consistent we are and affirmative of the term sight words, the better off our students will be. We all have the same goal in mind, so let's work together to achieve it. My final thought for today is this. Don't judge yourself too harshly. We're all on this literacy learning journey together. And where we are on our journeys may be different, but we will continue to learn and grow together. That's what being a teacher, a lifelong learner, is truly all about. Now that you know more about how we learn to read, you are armed and ready to help your students become stronger at reading because you know about the research and you know what sight words really are now. But don't make today be the final day you hear or learn about this research, my friends. There's plenty more out there to discover. Know that I am here for you and you can reach out to me anytime to learn more. So thank you for listening. I hope you become a regular follower of this podcast channel. And remember, as a new teacher, we are here to help you.